Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. I, I love where I get to sit because I get to see your faces. And, and often we, we spend a week with people. And to watch people's faces transform over a week is more more joy than I can even begin to tell you. And just as we were worshiping, what like what amazing worship. Thank you, worship people. Amazing just how you minister to the Lord and we get to step into that with you. And I mean, I was, it, it just took me through my whole life. Like I just relived my whole life right here. And just his kindness, his goodness to me. A big part of my story, and you'll hear little pieces of it as we go, but a big part of it happened, I mean, parts of it happened, some up in Elgin. We have Mark here from from international teams, what used to be international teams. I don't know what they call it. What are you called now? One Collective. One Collective. Sounds very cool. <laughs> oh... And and down at Wheaton College, I, I went to grad school down there, and and more things happened in those couple of years. And I can, I could stand here for weeks and tell you stories about what the Lord did. It just is goodness. Like I was, I was walking and living in darkness. I, I don't think I fully knew it, but I had a pretty good understanding that I was in darkness. And he literally plucked me out of that. And he placed me into the kingdom of the son of his love. He just placed me into love. Like, what the heck? That's what's so wonderful about that is it's it's our our dad. (laughs) It's our father. It's Papa. He he plucked me. He, he, we sang when in our worst days. He was loving us. My worst day, your worst day ever. He was pouring everything he had, all his love into you. Your worst day. I I often teach that the the worst person on the planet right now is receiving the same love. That Jesus receives. And some of you are trying to go to universalism in your brains and going, uh oh, that's not what I'm saying. While you were yet sinners, he was loving you. I mean, he was just loving you. And you were like, I don't need you, I got me. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I know. You'll get it. And he just pursued and he pursued and he loved and he loved. And one day he plucks us out of that just mess. I I have a tattoo on my my arm, this one. (laughs) And, And it says, Beloved. And it comes from Song of Solomon 710. And it's 
that goes something like, I am my beloved's, and in Spanish it says, Yo soy de mi amado, y él me busca compasión. I am my beloved's, and he seeks after me. He pursues me with passion. And, and to me, that implies that all his resources, he, he collectively uses those, and he pursues our hearts. <laughs> but then it gets better, and it, it, it speaks to kind of what you have been saying here. It, verse 11 in, in the Passion Translation, my wife. She'll, she'll keep me going. <laughs> it said, let it, so first, we get this understanding of who we are. I am my beloved's, and he takes all the resources he has available to him to pursue me with love. And then he comes, and he says, let us go together. You don't have to do it yourself. Let us go together and go to the forgotten places and show them redeeming love. Let us go together. Like first, you got to know that I'm loving you and I'm pursuing you with everything I have. All the resource of heaven is coming after your heart. And then he says, all right, you got that. Now let's, let's go together. Let's go to the forgotten places and, and demonstrate, reveal to the, the forgotten places within us. The, the doors that you kept closed, the doors that you kept hidden. He wants to go everywhere with you. He doesn't say, go figure that out and come back when you got it sorted. He says, I want to go with you. I want to go hand in hand. And let's go together to those forgotten places and show them, demonstrate, reveal <laughs> redemption. <laughs> And then it gets even better. Like Song of Solomon, uh, there's a lot you can do there, but some of it just, man, it just goes right there. Then he, then he says, now, now you can go. I've, I've, I've come to you. I've loved you. We've gone together into the forgotten place. You're, you're healed. But now, now you can begin the journey. Man. Isn't that our story? I mean, the cycle of that anyway. We all have places we need him to go to. We need him to go with us. But I love, I love that he doesn't say, get yourself sorted, kid. <laughs> he says, I, I'll do it with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You're, you don't have to carry this by yourself. Normally we have people for a week, as, as Judy said, and and so there's about I don't know fifty hours of stuff I have in my heart I want to give you, and we have like three, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to keep us on track at some level. I I was just so messed up during worship I. I, 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 I. <laughs> I was just thinking of, of the vineyard and vineyard has always been a touch point along the way and just a guy named Gary Lenhart, probably most of you don't know him, but he was part of the original vineyard and he was very close to, who, who was the vineyard guy? I'm blanking. 
John Wimber, you guys should know that. That was a quiz. I know that. <laughs> and we were we were in the middle of the jungle in Ecuador and as a missionary, some of the worst things you've ever and, and I'm not gonna jump into the whole story, but man, he was he was he saved not only a human's life, but he saved he showed me who God was again. And and there's this uh, I remember I have a picture of me and my daughter sitting on our couch in Wheaton and we were playing guitar next to each other and, and we're singing we had those those vineyard, you know, those little books. That's how I learned guitar, right? Those David Roos and whatever. We will dance on the streets that are gone. Like that's that's what I was birthed into. I It was 1995, and, and I'm, I'm in graduate school at Wheaton College. I, I inherently believe that I was less than everyone in the school. Most of the people that were in my program in, in clinical psych, they were valedictorians in their colleges. They were valedictorians in their high school. There, there's like a very winnowing to get into this program, and I don't know how I got in, but I did. And... But I really felt less than everybody. I felt like I didn't deserve or, or, you know, they, they like, their grandpa was Billy Graham and things like that. It was like, oh, yeah, we were on the farm in North Carolina and grandpa, oh, Billy Graham, yeah. <laughs> we're in the Billy Graham Center. Oh, yeah. Like, they had these lineages and they would always tell these stories and I just felt like I just got plucked out of darkness. That's all I know. And I remember we had this this assignment and, and the assignment was tell us tell us something in your life that really shifted who you were and, and was and, and we want you to write it, it's gotta be twenty pages, and I want you to read it in front of not just the the, the masters and the doctoral students, but all the, the the staff as well. The so so I'm like, Oh, this this is the time when I can tell people who I am. Because they all have this massive cool lineage and I can now tell them cool stories of climbing mountains or, or, you know, all those cool stories where you're the hero, those awesome stories. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is my chance to kind of share my life with these people and, and show them I'm awesome too. And, and, and the Lord in my rumination, he broke in. He goes, this is what I want you to talk about. And I just began to weep because I knew it would lead to the end of me being at Wheaton College. And and I walked home, and it was maybe a mile and a half, and I wept. I mean, not weep, but wailed all the way home because it, I was undone. I was like, how in the... What, you want me to talk about that? And And I went home, I went down in my basement, I typed 20 pages out, and at the end of those 20 pages, I... I was I was taken somewhere. I'd been there before. I didn't have language for it. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was in a vision or I had an encounter or I went to heaven, but yes. <laughs> at, at the time, Leslie and I we were we I'd get home, I worked at Glen Ellen 
forgot what it was called, hospital. I worked in the lock psych unit there for a couple years. It's another story. <laughs> but we were we were just praying, you know, those lists like of the gifts and the the callings and like we would just pray through those. We had little candles we light. We do this little eulogy liturgy and I'd get home at midnight, wake her up, we'd go down the basement, sometimes we'd pray all night, sometimes but one of the things, we're praying for the gift of, of tongues. We're praying for all the gifts. So like, if you're giving them out, we want them all. We'll just say yes to the whole list. We'd read the list. We'd pray the list. And one of the things we had to do, and now I'm really on a bunny trail, but we, we, would, we would confess sin one to another. And, and so we felt in our hearts that we were to go through our whole lives and confess every sin we'd ever committed. And you'll get to know me not as much as normally, but you will. And as we, I mean, it took some time for me to do that. It was, and so anyway, I'm in, I'm in the basement and I'm, I'm taken to this place. And in this place, what I could see was fields of, of flowers and it was beautiful. And, and in and amongst this field of flowers, there was, there's just all these kids, all these children. And there was, and again, I didn't have language to say this, but father was there. I didn't know him as father. I didn't, I didn't know to call him father, but it was, he was like sitting on this big wooden chair and I could see like his legs and his feet. And, and he said, come, come over here. And I'm like, like, it's kind of freaky when, I mean, I'd already been through a lot. I just typed 20 pages. That was <laughs> but 20 pages of tears. And he said, come over here. I, I want you to meet somebody. And, and he called someone over, and it was this little little kid. He said, I want you to meet your son, Caleb. And I said, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I just... And he, he said, I... I've got him. I'm taking care of him. I'm loving him. He's growing up in the environment of love and he's never been happier and I'm so delighted that he's here. Probably some of you are wondering, okay, what's the rest of the story? When when I was in college, I had a girlfriend. She got pregnant. We went to the health center to confirm that public university and they they said you're pregnant and they gave us a pamphlet and said you need to here's how you take care of that and we we the first time I heard the audible voice of the Lord and I wasn't a believer we went to take money out of in Milwaukee it was a time machine and I, I we were just drove by there the other day it was off right off the first Wisconsin building and I went to put my money my card and get my money in and I heard this resounding no and I was like, what the heck was, like the building shook. I didn't know his voice. I didn't know what that noise was, but I was like, whoa. We, I got money. We went to the clinic. We, we had to fight through a barrage of, of believers. Christians were there and they had signs and they threw things at us and they cursed us and they, they said lots of, probably some of the worst things I've ever heard was in that gauntlet back and forth from the clinic and, It was so, the, the place was death. I, I, 
I grew up seeing demons and, and I knew the place was full of demons. I wanted out. We got out. We went home. She almost bled out, took her to the hospital. They saved her life. All, all that was what I was going to read before Wheaton College and the descendants of Billy Graham. And I thought, and you got to understand this, probably most of you, some of you weren't there around, or at least public radio or Christian radio was like abortion was the, was the thing. People were blowing up abortion clinics. Dobson was, was condemning and as he should <laughs> abortion. And it was just like the hot topic. And why do I have to go and tell everybody about the worst thing I thought I ever did? And I carried the shame and I just felt like I am less than, and this is part of the less thanness, but this will just confirm it. And so the day came and I, I had my paper and I said to my professors, I'm going first <laughs> and then I'll probably be gone. And I remember reading, just trembling and, and reading through. Wow. It, it felt like that in my heart. <laughs> it was, and I, I, as I trembled, I began to read kind of probably better written than I just told it. But I honestly believe that was my last moment in that place. And But then I started to hear kind of sniffles, and I started to hear cries, and then I started to hear wails. And, and I knew that day that I wasn't the only sinner in Wheaton College. And A group of us kind of formed a small group and we found just healing in, in each other's pain as we witnessed each other's pain and, and the trauma and all that is around that. And yet God took me and said, you know what? <laughs> You're my boy, but so is he. And I've got him. I'm not sure who that's for. <laughs> I just want to say that you're not going to miss it. There's some of you even right now, you can just feel it. Like, I don't want to miss whatever this is. You can't miss it. It's him. This is where I got off track. <laughs> the worst person on the planet. Man, woman, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm guessing it's a man. God's loving him with the same, the exact same love that he loved eternally, that he's loving eternally, Christ Jesus. That's mind-blowing love. We, we can't understand it. We can't start to get our heads around it. We, 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 if you hurt me, I turn off or turn down love. Like you hurt me and you don't, you don't get any, or at least the same amount of love. Hurt me again, hurt me again, keep hurting me, and you're done. You don't get love from me anymore. But God, our Father, is not like that. He loves, and he loves, and he loves, and he loves, even the worst person ever. <laughs> now, just 
to be clear, the only way to the Father is through the Son. We got to get to Jesus to get to the Father. Can't jump over that. Got to. Scripture says so clearly that while we were yet sinners, he was loving us. He only has one level of love. He only, the difference between you and me and maybe the worst person in the world is while we're loving, while they're being loved, what they can't do is reap the full benefits of that love. They can't go together into the forgotten place and show redeeming love. Outside of Christ, I I have no way into the heart of the Father. I need Christ in order to step into Father, step into it, the fullness of his love. I, it doesn't mean he's not loving, though. I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, we used to have prayer meetings where maybe you didn't, but I, I was in a few, where we would stomp out the enemies of God. You know, you know, David would turn them into dust and stomp them out. And, and so we'd stomp out the enemies of God and... I don't want to stomp anybody out. Like, if if that's true, what I just said, and I, I believe it is, and, and God's loving the worst person in the planet, how long did it take you to go from zero to wherever you are in Christ? When you said yes, when you opened your heart, when you when you realized you were a sinner and you needed something bigger than yourself to to redeem you back into who God is, how long did that take? It took a second, a microsecond, less than a second. When your, when your heart screamed, yes, he gave you the full benefits. He, he dragged you right into the kingdom and placed you in the kingdom of the son of his love. He said, you're in. You have it all. Once for all, right? You get, reap the full benefits. So if that's true, why would we want to stomp anybody out? If they're that far away, everyone on the planet is that far away from stepping into the fullness of everything that Christ has died for us for. Man, I, 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 I was the last person on the planet to say yes to Jesus. For sure. Maybe not, but the last is pretty extreme. I'm extreme. I was, I was a bartender. I was a triathlete. I, I thought I was, the stuff and 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 I was sitting in this bar talking to this cute girl and telling her I was awesome. I was 22 years old. I I had no thought, zero thoughts on who Jesus was and and what he might look like for me. I just knew that I was something. I thought I was something and I was going places and I couldn't wait to go there and do that and all these big plans and I remember just just piling this all on this little girl and and she was cute and and she was listening and so I kept telling her how awesome I was. That's what 22-year-old boys do and and at the end she she kind of looked at me and she said a phrase that changed everything. She said I want to live my life for Jesus Christ. I mean, we're in the middle of <laughs> drink in my hand, legs kicked back like, Wee! and I believed it. I said, I want that. I, I, there's nothing to explain. You can't explain to me how I went from Woo! to how do I do that? Other than he was loving me. And that love just overtook me. 
And I believe right then and there I said, yes, I followed her home to her apartment. I got on my knees and, and that cool guy who juggled and did stuff in bars, suddenly I realized how I was just a little pipsqueak. I remember squeaking out this little prayer, Daddy, Jesus. And, and I, I barely could speak. And everything, everything in my life changed in a second. Everything. See, my heart, the eyes of my heart could see something that they couldn't see. He revealed himself to me. We, we only know God by revelation. We don't intellectually go there. I can't intellectually talk you into God. I mean, I used to think I could. I, 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 was, I, I love evangelism, and I, I can paint you in a corner and you can't get out. And only a fool would do anything other than say yes to Jesus. I can get you there, and there's no way out. You're, tra- you're trapped. If you step out, you step in the paint. You get wet. So let's just, we might as well just pray, huh? I'll lead. <laughs> They're done. But is, is that love? Is that how we get people into the kingdom? We, we trap them in a corner and, and make them pray a prayer. And I mean, it worked for me, <laughs> but I wasn't trapped. I was just loved. He, he, let's look at a passage in Proverbs, Matthew 11. Proverbs, Matthew. <laughs> it's, it's a new version. You seem pretty progressive here. <laughs> Matthew 11. Jesus speaking to the religious rulers of the day, and he's talking about the kingdom. In verse 25, he says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and have revealed them to babes. So essentially Jesus is speaking to the wise and prudent. He's saying, Father, I'm so glad that you hide these things, the things of the kingdom, from the wise and the prudent. But you reveal them to babes. I'm your kid. You, re- you have revealed yourself to me. But the wise and the prudent, those that have this wisdom, those that know what to do with the wisdom, you, you've hidden these things from them. And, and he goes on. He says, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Verse 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except for the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except for the Son, and the one to whom the Son will, wills to reveal him. Now, if you can imagine, I started tonight by coming up here and just saying, let's get one thing straight. I and I alone know Jesus. None of you know who Jesus is. <laughs> we'll just pause for a minute. Dramatic pause. <laughs> oh my gosh. I totally lost. We'll just read the scripture again. Refresh. 
All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. If I started tonight by saying, I and I alone know Jesus, none of you do, probably some of you would get up and get out. Some of you would probably sneer. Some of you, just because of who you are, you wouldn't leave because that'd be rude. But you'd be inside, be like, this guy is a maniac. <laughs> Jesus to the those like 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 Solomon who had been risen in the the temple since they were young he, he they've spent their whole lives everything about them is around the law and Jesus confronts them and he says only i know my dad none of you i mean it's great that you're all smart and you've been studying and and you've memorized all this stuff and you guys are amazing but i just want you to know that not one of you not one of you knows my dad only i do <laughs> In fact, God's standing in front of you, and you don't see him. Everything you've brought to the table has done nothing for you. The only way that you know who my father is, is that I reveal him to you. <laughs> I reveal my dad. That's what's in my heart. That's what he's given me to do is reveal who he is to you. <laughs> but you, the wise, the prudent, the, the religious leaders of the day, not one, not one of you knows my dad. Only I do. I mean, you wonder why they started to pursue him. <laughs> I mean, later he, he says things like, Abba. Here he, he called him father, but later he gets just so intimate. He calls him daddy. Like, daddy, daddy, daddy's here. Do you feel him? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that word, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, we're talking about God almighty. <laughs> we're going to pray. How dare you call God Daddy, <laughs> like it, it's offensive almost. Like, how do you, it's offensive because we don't know him as father. We, we like sign language. The sign for, for father, God, the father is, is a long beard and he's up there somewhere. Like he's far, he's distant. He's probably a little hacked off. He's just looking. His eyes are searching for one day to find you, catch you doing something wrong, and boom! <laughs> it's over. That, that's scary. <laughs> why, why would you? But Jesus knew him as father. He knew him as daddy. <laughs> and they determined then and there that they were going to rid the earth of Jesus. You, you don't get to call God Almighty daddy. Let's let's go to Proverbs now. In some of these passages we we can just cruise by them and, and miss kind of some of the essence here that that we can glean. In four and twenty-three, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. 
for out of it springs the issues of life. This word diligence, it's, it's a military term, and it literally means bring to bear every armament, all your strength, all your might to this place. Why? <laughs> Guard your heart with all diligence. Bring everything to the fight for your heart because out of your heart is where God does business. That's where the kingdom is is relayed. That's where uh, if you're going to have a last stand, it's got to be at your heart. The place where God does business, where he, he transforms us is in our hearts. Oh, beloved, it's, it's not, it's not through, uh, it's not through study. It's not through progressive learning and all those things are wonderful and and and, and I I pray I study I fast I do all those things but those things don't lead us into the arms of the father Jesus we just saw these people who had given their lives to know about God Jesus condemned them and says not one of you not one of you know who my father is and, and here again, we say, keep your heart with all diligence. If you're going to have a fight, if you're going to do anything for you, do it at your heart. And that's the place where we're going to fight for is our hearts. Because out of our hearts, everything flows. Has anyone ever tried to be patient? Like acted patient, you know what I mean? Nobody, Wow. <laughs> It just gave up. <laughs> That's no. We've all like we've we've made the vow. Like I'm going to be patient with this person, or my kids, or my wife, or my husband, or mostly my husband, and and I'm I'm going to be patient next time he, she, they do that. And and we 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 confess it. We may pray about it. We may ask for the anointing to help us. We we do all the stuff, and then. <clears throat> We're in the situation, and in that situation, suddenly there's pressure, and when pressure comes, what happens? You see, under pressure, our heart's revealed. When there's pressure around us, and, and beloved, we, we have barely faced pressure. We've all had things in our lives that have created pressure. But I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm talking real life and death, minute to minute pressure. That that's what I think we need to think of. And and so we we go to the situation and and we find that we are not patient anymore. And so we get mad and we're like, man, I I prayed about it. I even fasted this time about my patience, and I lost my patience. We say, (laughs) but how do you lose something if you've never actually had it? And I would put before you, you you can't be patient. Has anyone been patient? I mean, say you're driving down the road and, and you're you're gonna take a right up up ahead and somebody comes careening past you, they slam on their brakes and, and you slam on your brakes and you barely avoid an accident, they roll down their window, they make some finger gestures, you can read their lips, none of those things feel good. And and what comes out of your heart at that moment? It's oh Father, bless them. Mm, mm, mm. I, I'm just so yes, Lord, just more. <laughs> Right? 
sure. I don't believe you. <laughs> so how do we become patient? First Corinthians 13. It says that God is patient. Or love is patient. But if God is love, then what do you need more of to be patient? You need more love. You need more God. Romans 5.5, 5, it says that God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let's just look at that real quick. Because Romans 5.1 is, is just beautiful. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. And this word peace literally is, is irene. It, it, it means we're dovetailed with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we are dovetailed. We are, we are tied together. We're, we're constructed together with God through Christ Jesus. Then it goes down, and in verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we, we realize that we've been acting patient, but we're not actually patient. It's just been an act, and it's been revealed for what it is, and that's an act. But if if what we need is God so that we, we have more of his love, and as we have more of his love, as he pours himself into our hearts, we become transformed, we become conformed into who he is. The way that God transforms us is him. Like, he doesn't leave us to figure it out. He says, don't worry about it, I've got you. I want to put myself inside of you. I want to fill you up with me, <laughs> not with, with knowledge, but with me. I want to pour myself into your heart. And then you don't have to act patient. You can just be patient. Who, who would like to just be patient? <laughs> what if I could tell you, or what if I did tell you, that you don't have to act like a Christian? You could just be one. I mean, every one of us in this room at some level, we've acted like a Christian. We, we might see somebody around us and raise our hands. We might, you know, somebody says something and we bless them because other people are around. But if nobody was around, we might say something else. And, you know, we, we, we have to, Somebody does something to us and, and we have to run it through our mind. What is the right thing to do here? Somebody writes us an email. What's the right response? We, we end up at this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every single time leads to death. So how do we live from the tree of life? How do we live from Christ? There's only one way, at least that I know. It's love. And it's not just any love. It's not ethereal, far away, distant, up in the clouds love. It's God himself taking himself and putting it into our hearts so that we become like him. He doesn't want us to act like Christians. He wants us to be able to just be Christians. My, my goal, my, my, my desire is to be a little old man, 120 years old or however old I get to be, and I'm going to have a sparkle in my eye. And when, when you squeeze me, when real pressure comes, 
real pressure. What's going to come out of me is love. That's it. Because there's no room for anything else. There's no room for anger, for frustration, for lack of patience, for lack of long-suffering, for the computer that doesn't work and you want to throw it out the window. (laughs) I mean, that's where I fall down. My computer, like, you just have to be a computer. (laughs) What's so amazing about God's love is, one, it's there to comfort us, but It's so much more than that. He wants us to be his kids, but not just kids acting like kids, but actually his kids. That no matter what comes at us, what naturally comes out is him. We don't have to go through the the thought process. We don't have to study enough and climb the ladder of whatever ladder you're climbing. And when you get to the top, then you know all stuff. You're wise, you're prudent. I don't want to be wise and prudent. What I want to be is a son. What I want to do is is have him pour himself into me so that I begin to reflect who he is. See, I think when God starts to pour love into us, he he heals our hearts. He, He fixes the broken things. He goes with us to those forgotten places, shows them redeeming love. But but so much bigger than that is is when it starts to flow out of us. You see, he just keeps pouring love in. Our, our, our position, our, our posture as a son is that we get to just receive love all day, every day, continuously. And as we continuously f- receive love, ultimately it's going to spill out. And as it starts to spill out, I believe that's what Christianity really is. As it spills out, everything happens that you want to happen. And and I can sit here and tell you story after story. We don't have enough time today or tomorrow, this next week. But I've walked into places and love spilling out. And I don't I don't see love spilling out. But as love spills out, people get saved, they get healed, they get delivered. And I haven't said a word. I've just stepped into the room. When I step in, eternity steps in with me, and my expectation is that everything changes in the room. And it's not because of me. It's because he, Christ in me, this relationship I have with God that's exactly like Jesus's, the love that I receive from the Father is the same stuff that he's been loving Jesus with eternity past. That love is what's being poured into me and it's overflowing into the room. And when it overflows into the room, everything has to change. It's not, it's, it's not negotiable. <coughs> it's, it's instantaneous. And I usually often tell a story about this. <coughs> New Orleans, we had this, the levees broke and, and Katrina happened and walls of water came through New Orleans and, and, and just all the all around there. And I've spent a lot of time there and know a lot of people there. We've ministered there quite a bit. And there's amazing stories that come out of Katrina time, Katrina time. And now it's what, 15 ish years ago. And there was, I'll tell you a good story because it's, it's, I usually land on the make a point story, but (laughs) 
the wall, the wall water came into the, the barrio, into the neighborhood, and, and the water was rising up above the roofs, and, and this was just a normal neighborhood, and, and on the high side of the street lived a man who was quiet, he was an African-American man, and nobody really knew much about him, he kept his grass clipped, and he was a nice guy, he was older, nobody knew much about him, but this day, the water is going up, it's going up, it's going up, and what he notices, he's up on the roof, everyone gets up on the roofs because the water's coming that high, and he notices that because the the neighborhood kind of slants down, the roofs are being drowned down there. And what they didn't know about him is that he was a former Navy SEAL and he knew how to swim. And so he went into the water and he went to the furthest place and he drug them back. And he went 13 times to all his neighbors and drug them back to his roof. And the 14th time he didn't come back. You see, that's what love looks like. He gave his life for his brothers and he didn't even know who they were. He selflessly sacrificed everything so that they could have something, a roof to stand on. You see, when pressure came, when pressure was pressed upon him, he didn't run from it. What came out of his heart, guard your heart with all diligence, what came out of his heart was pure humanity. I, I, my, my fellow humans need help and I'm going to go help them. Most of the other story is as people got together in gangs, people got together and they began to fight and take stuff and collect stuff. And, and that night in the Superdome, they had 15,000 people locked in there. They locked the door because they didn't want people coming and going all night. So 15,000 locked in there. What they heard all night and no person who was there is as gangs of men went around and, and just took advantage of women that were not with the herd. <laughs> and all they heard was screams and cries all night. And not one, there wasn't one worship leader. There wasn't one person that stood up and said, we're not doing this tonight. Everyone get in the middle. <laughs> they just huddled in little groups and, and hoped that it wasn't them. Those people that did that, that perpetrated that, what came out of their hearts was, I can do anything I want because nobody can see me. And I have a couple guys with me that, that want the same things that I want. Now let's go do it. That's, that's the Antichrist spirit. I can do whatever I want because nobody's going to see Oh, beloved, the reason we guard our hearts with, with all diligence, the reason that's the place we fight is because when pressure comes, whether it's being patient, whether it's being a Christian, whether it's saving your neighbor because they're drowning, I don't know what your circumstance is going to be, but what we want is when pressure comes that all that's left to come out is love. What if we could just be love? I'm not there, but what I'm experiencing, what we're experiencing is, is many places we go, it manifests. We don't, we don't make it happen. We don't go, today's the day we're going to make that overflow, get somebody. It just happens and we happen to be part of the story. We, we, we're not focused on, I'm, we, we do say, Father, would you just pour your love into our hearts? We say that a lot. I also pray this prayer 
Father, comfort me. That's, that's a big one, I pray. I, I, I watched my daughter over 10 years dissipate, fall apart, break down to nothing. And there was nothing I could do about it. Every person you've ever heard of came and prayed for her. Any name you could name, they probably prayed for our daughter. They, they had dreams in California, got on airplanes and flew to our house and knocked on the door and said, the Lord called me here. And, and you think when things like that happen, okay, like if God's talking to all these people about my daughter, certainly he, he has the same idea as I do about what healing looks like. <laughs> and what do you do with <laughs> father? There's only one place to go. Comfort me. Let's look in Corinthians. First Corinthians eight. Now this is this is Paul, and we know Paul, he was the the Pharisee of Pharisees. So he he rose through the ranks, if you will, and he became the smartest. He became the most full of wisdom, the most prudent. He was the top of the heap in a very competitive world of, of religious people. I, I want to say this, religion is the language of the devil. Religion comes from the devil. Religion has nothing to do with love. And, and it might not be the same definition you're using as religion. You might think you're a religious person. That's how I go to church. But religion is the language of the devil. You see, he gets us to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I already told you leads to death. And we begin to evaluate, this is better than this, I'm better than him, she's smarter than me, and I'm smarter than him. And we start to evaluate all this stuff. And he says, that's not how I run my kingdom. My kingdom is that you feast on love. I fill you with love, and the overflow is how you live your life. All this stuff. And, and you, can, you can pray and fast religiously, or you can pray and fast in love. It's not even the thing we're talking about. It's, it's guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows who he is. And the way that we get filled with him is we turn to him. So, so Paul, he's, he's the religious of the religious. He's, he lives at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He only knows this tree. And so he climbs to the top of the heap. And out of everything he knows, he says to his leaders, man, if, if you could do one thing for me, now that I'm on top, just give me this one job. I, I want to seek and find every man, woman, and child who confesses Christ. And I want to murder them. I want, I want, I want them bloody. I want them dead. I, I want to attack them. I want, that's, that's where religion got them. The top of the heap, the best religious human on, on the planet at the time, he said, give me the job to murder all the Christians. I, I want that job. That's the job I want. Can you imagine? And, and then he, we know the story. He saw some light. Then he couldn't see. He got knocked off his high horse. He, you know, the, 
there's this whole story there. But then we find Paul after all that, and, and this is where I want to I want to look at 8 and 1. It says, now concerning things offered to idols. We know that we, <clears throat> we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Literally, this word edify means if you want to build anything, it's got to be built with and in love. You can't build anything outside of love. Love itself is what builds things. So Paul is saying, knowledge, it just makes you feel good. It makes you think you're important. It makes you... Uh, argue better maybe, but knowledge isn't what the goal is. The goal is love. If we want to build something in the kingdom, we want to build one another. If we want to build patience into our life, we want to be a Christian. All we need is love is what Paul's saying. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. If you love God, you're, you're known by him. You see, Paul begins and he just says, love edifies. Love builds things. Knowledge, it just puffs you up. It's, and then he goes on. We'll just look at one last passage in 2 Corinthians 3. We'll just end here for today. It says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? So the idea here is that in this day, people would take a letter of commendation and they would go around and say, here's, here's all the cool things that happen when I preach. So angels, signs and wonders, miracles, all this stuff happens when I come. And and they would go around and they kind of have their sheet and they'd show people and they go oh wow yeah that's good, and and so what Paul's saying because he's gone to the church and he's saying I'm coming back and they're going well we need your letter of commendation, and we'll put it in the pile with the other letters and we'll we'll get back to you, and Paul's like wait a minute, <laughs> without me you wouldn't even exist, are you kidding me like. I'm a fulfillment, and, and we're not going to look at it all, but of Ezekiel, of Jeremiah, of Exodus. I am a fulfillment of prophecy. I came into your midst, and you became because of me. Letter of commendation, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm not competing with the super apostles. I am your apostle. <laughs> so you feel a little... Hmm? Leslie doesn't like when I talk about Paul like that. <laughs> she, she doesn't. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. There's there's so many things right in this little passage. First of all, that all men can know and read your heart. All men. You know, you know why people are leaving our churches, particularly the younger ones? No, Leonard, I don't. Could you tell us? <laughs> or yes, I know. They can read hearts. And they walk into our churches and they see incongruity between what we say and what's in our heart. And they can read that in a microsecond and they walk out. 
we, again, I'm not speaking of this church. I don't, I, I've not been here. I don't know. I feel something very beautiful here. But many, many churches I've been to Sunday morning, we go down the aisle and we go, hallelujah, brother. God is good. Mm, amen. I love Jesus. Yes, sister. Woo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, my brother. Yeah, we miss, but it's good. Oh, yeah. Wow, God is good. Hallelujah. Woo! There's some churches, when I say something they like, they get up and dance. It's so wonderful. Just a little clue for tomorrow, but... (laughs) But we don't stop. We don't try, even, to read hearts often. Because what if... What if we did? What if, what if we could read each other's hearts and, and what if we saw something in somebody and, and one of two things happens? One, like, you know the person who's the most needy in the room. We all know who that person is. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a psychologist. You just know. And you walk by that person, you're like, yeah, hallelujah, goodbye. <laughs> But it's one of two reasons. One, I don't want you to take from me. Or two, I don't have anything to give you that can help you. And so instead of reading one another's hearts, we hallelujah, God is good, God is great. Amen. I'm going to keep my eyes closed. I don't want to see your heart. (laughs) But what if we stopped? What if we said, hey, sister, man, Molly, I haven't seen you in a while. Don't touch me like that. <laughs> What's going on? Like I I see something and it's it's more than we can talk about right now, but what if Leslie and I and you let's go grab some coffee and I'd love to hear what what that is cuz I can see it, but I let's let's do this. Maybe after church we can grab coffee. I want to hear what's in your heart. See, that was that was the church. That's how they did life. They and they acknowledged that hearts could be read by all men. Beloved, outside our walls of our church, they're reading our hearts. And we're pretending we can't read our hearts. But we can. We just don't want to because it's it's two-edged sword. Either I don't have what you need or you have more than I can deal with. But it, it, I'll, I'll give you a little secret on what Leslie and I do. It's not dependent upon us. We, we show up for sure. We do all the stuff behind we need to for sure. But... I don't know you. I don't have to figure you out. I don't have to try to conjure up something that I... No. God loves you. He's loving you right now. And he's brought me here and Leslie here just to open that up a little bit. And some of you, you're just going to get blasted into the stratosphere and you won't know what hit you. And you're going to spend the next couple of years just spinning. <laughs> And some of you will go, yeah, that was that was all right. (laughs) 
Right now, though, I mean, the last 45 minutes, God's been doing things in you. He's doing it already. He's those whom I will to reveal. Jesus is revealing, even right now, the Father. It's not reserved for ministry time. It's not when we come and lay hands on you and tomorrow we want to spend some time doing that. But he's loving you right now. He follows you home. We were doing an A school in, in South Dakota and, and a reform guy had come and, and he, he came up to me at some point and he said, I just need you to know who I am. And he told me who he was and who he follows and he goes to conferences and some of the names that I'll drop along the way, he'll go, we, we put them up on the big screen and we make fun of them. I'm like, you pay money for that. <laughs> so yeah, that's what we do. And, and I don't believe in all this, all the things he doesn't believe in and, he knows that we charismatics were sneaky and we're going to try to trick him at some point. And I said, great, that must be fun <laughs> to live like that. And so we, we got to this point, it was probably a Thursday night, and, and God was just doing something. I mean, the whole room, kind of like those Bugs Bunny cartoons where people just kind of melt off their chairs and they were ev- the whole room was laying on the floor. I didn't know it, but... Uh, this young man, he was, his, his arms started swinging around. I didn't see, he sat as far away. It was a bigger auditorium. He was way up in the corner. Everyone else was like right here. <laughs> and so his arms started flinging around. And he's like, <laughs> and he threw himself on the floor so no one would see him. And then his legs started kicking around. And so he wrapped himself up and he was, he was all wrapped up wrestling himself up in the corner somewhere. Meanwhile, the rest of us, I just sat on the stage and we sat there for an hour, hour and a half. Not once did anyone kind of peek their head up and go, are we done? <laughs> and so we, we were way over time, and I'm sitting there talking to the Lord, saying, how do I end this? Like, you're clearly doing something, but I don't want to interrupt that, so do we sit here all night? And so I'm, I'm having that conversation. He said, do you think I don't go home with them? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you can go. <laughs> And so I dismiss people, and it was messy. <laughs> we'll just say that. We, we were in a grocery store later, and there's several couples in there, and they were, like, just really drunk people. <laughs> you just, it was interesting. And, and so this young man, he's being driven home by a friend of ours, and and. And they start driving, and he goes, that's the music. I hear the music that they were playing at the end. Where is it? And and the guy driving the car is like, I hear it too, but I, I don't know. He's like, give me your phone. You're trying to trick me. So he hands him his phone, and right then I called, and I'm like, hey, and we were going to have a team meeting, and the guy driving was part of the team meeting, and I said, what do you, do you want root beer, do you want, what do you want to drink tomorrow, and he's like, I can't talk right now, and so we hung up, and, and they had this discussion, he checked the radio, he checked his phone, he's like, you're trying to trick me, and then the spirit of God came in the car, and they both ended up spilling out, laughing and rolling around in the sidewalk for, I don't know, 45 minutes, the guy who didn't believe anything, (laughs) You see, he goes home with us. Leslie and I aren't going home with anybody, each other. But he, 
wants to continuously pour love into our hearts. It's, it's here, it's there, it's everywhere. It's all day, every day. It's not just at the meeting. It's, and once it begins to begin, and it's already begun, but that you recognize it, oh, <laughs> it becomes so fun. And probably there's a moment where you're kind of like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Why didn't anybody tell me this? That I could just be free and, and receive love and spill love and that's my life. I don't have to think about what the kingdom looks like. I don't have to think about what a good Christian is. I get to just be one. And sometimes it's really messy. Okay, I promised I would finish. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. You see, Paul particularly musicians, and I'm not speaking to any of you, but like we go, oh man, that was a great set, great worship set. And it wasn't me. It was Jesus. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, yeah, of course. But it was you. Paul, even here, he says, ministered by us. We ministered that which you received. He uses us, people. We, we don't have to, of course it's Christ in you. We know that. <laughs> but it's you. He loves you. You're his kid. He wants to walk, that, that Psalm 16, walk down the, the, the road, the, the, the pathway of life. David, as he's wrestling through just life stuff, he ends up in, in 1611 and goes, as we walk down the path of life together, in your presence is the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. That's ultimately what it's like to walk down the path of life with you. Oh, beloved, that's what it's like to be filled with love from the Father all day, every day. It's, it's delight all the time. Does it mean you don't have bad days? Of course you do. I've had some of the worst days. In the last few years, I mean, just hammer and the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore as I walk with my father. I don't know if I could do it, not walking down the path of life with my father. So let's just take a minute and pray. Maybe just put your hands wherever you think your heart is. Because I'm not when I say your heart, I'm not talking about this organ that pumps blood through past your your pulmonary system and through your your circulatory system. What I'm talking about is where God dwells, where God pours His Spirit, where God pours love. That place. Father, we're just so grateful that you're loving us right now. And it's not just a trickle, it's not a little, but it's everything that you have in your heart for each and every one of us. It's the fullness. The fullness of God. The fullness of love. Right now, Father, just open our hearts just a little wider. 
Father, I'm just asking that you increase our capacity to receive love right now. And help us, Father, to even unlearn some of the things that we've learned. That we could be right here in the midst of receiving love. Not just right now, but all the time. So that as you pour yourself love into me, I become like you. That as you fill me up, we go together to the forgotten places and show those places redeeming love. And I just I feel like tonight, even as you lay down in bed tonight, you can just invite Father. Just say, Father, let's let's go together. And show some of those places redeeming love right tonight. And even some of you know what they are right now. And you, if you want, you can go right now. Go into those places and show redeeming love. Go with him, with your, with your daddy, <laughs> with Papa. And then, as he continuously fills us up, beloved, uh, I believe a good definition for sonship is walking. In the reality of continuously receiving love until it's overflowing and living in the overflow. And Papa, we're not asking for a little, we want it all. All that you would give a son, all that you would give a daughter. Second Corinthians six eighteen, Paul writes about the Father. The Father says, I will be a father to you. I will be a father. I'm not going to act like a father. I don't have fatherly characteristics, although I do. But I want to father you. I will be a father to you. Everything that your mother, that your father couldn't give you because they didn't have it to give. Everything I want to father you. I want to mother you. I want to give you everything that you've never had. And you will be my sons and daughters, says Almighty God. Oh, beloved, just let him love you. Just let him father you. Let him mother you. We just say yes and amen to your promises and just confess that you're a good, good, good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.